Can you remember a time when you thought someone you disagreed with might actually be right? In the new podcast, You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen pose that question to guests like Paul Ryan, Al Gore, and Judy Woodruff. Come for the stories, stay for the substance and expert insights into some of the most challenging issues facing the country, including affordable housing, crime, and education. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available wherever you get your podcasts. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Sometimes our commander-in-chief, ideally upholder of the law, fails to inspire us. Take the 1970s. Well, I'm not a crook. Or the 90s. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And now the 21st century. I'm an extremely stable genius. You're about to hear two attorneys make sense out of a legal system some say is a train wreck. Here are Royal Oaks and Connor Oaks. This is Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Connor Oaks. So Supreme Court in the news in a big way, Connor. Oh, yeah. And of course, multiple old, ways. Yeah. And our old friend Michael Avenatti. He's, yes. He's back. Our old friend. One of our favorite of all the Too Many Lawyers. Get enough information about in Michael world. or Stormy Daniels is a former client. Now they're uh, opponents in, uh, in some litigation. Uh, so we're going to talk about Supreme Court specifically. Um, Justice Stephen Breyer's decided he wants to go fishing. I'm wondering if Kamala Harris will be fitted for a black robe. Ooh. Would that be interesting for Biden to see? You know what, Ms. Harris, you've done a fantastic job. You're going to do an even better job on the high court. You know, I, I love uh, I love the idea that he could pull the double swap after saying, oh, she'll be my running mate. I promise she's going to still be my running mate next time. You know, I would solve a few problems <laughs> for the uh, Democrats. He's, he's maybe, promised yeah. to, to appoint a black woman to the court. And uh, he also, I think... If you believe the polls and all the gossip is not real happy about how she's uh, done, but we'll see. Uh, we're also going to talk uh, also on the affirmative on the Supreme Court front about affirmative action. Affirmative action may be history soon. The U.S. Supreme Court has taken up a big yeah. affirmative action case. We'll talk about that. We're also going to talk about, yes, Michael Abinati. Um, mm-hmm. He may be testing the old adage, a lawyer who represents himself. As a crook for a client. Wait, hold no, I mean, on. No, fool for a client. There we are. Fool for a client. Because <laughs> it's good both ways. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, he's uh, on trial in New York, and he just fired his public defender uh, lawyer, and so he's representing himself. And finally, we're going to talk about whether a single Texas trial court judge should be able to stall President Biden's federal employee vaccine mandate rule. Uh, the issue is national injunctions, and so we will get into that controversial topic. And of course, guess the verdict as well. Our uh, guess the verdict case today, Connor will be asked some, uh, he'll be given the facts about a real live case. And to give you a little tease, it's the case of the eccentric judge. You don't think of judges as being eccentric. You think I of do, them but as okay. being sober. Yeah, totally. Sober, sober as a judge. Sober and eccentric, perhaps. So we'll get to that at the end of the episode. Uh, before we get to the Justice Breyer retirement uh, decision, I have a pet peeve. 
I was at a dinner. Uh, San Diego was awarding a, 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 the, the top defense lawyer in San Diego an award. And so at some point, the master of ceremonies in the middle of the e- evening mm-hmm. decided to order the audience to give the guy a standing ovation. This really ticks That's me off. That's not fancy. Yeah. I think That's a classy. standing ovation yeah. should be something Spontaneous. that comes from the feet, the legs, you know, yeah, the torso, from yes. the heart. Right. What sense does it make? And I've seen this three or four times in my life where I'm sitting at some banquet, you know, handing out some kind of award, and all of a sudden the guy who's running the show blurts it out. Okay, let's give Bill a standing ovation. Yeah, terrible. Seriously? It, if they were going to order everybody to take out their checkbook and give him a check for $10, each of you, okay? And if they were going to give him a standing O already, then it ruins it. It, it exactly. undercuts it. It takes. It gets rid of it. It's it, almost it, like the affirmative action of mm, master of ceremonies yeah, no. instructors. Mm. No, that's different. Don't see You're the right. analogy You're there. right. But anyway, uh, I just think that there should be a, a congressional law against this. Oh, yeah, for maybe, sure. Absolutely. Maybe a felony? Yeah, I'm oh, thinking. No, I'm okay with a misdemeanor. I think we should bring back the stocks for people to do it. <laughs> you know, they do it in front of crowds. They already like being in front of crowds, obviously. Let's just throw some tomatoes out. That's true. So you, you agree with me, ordering a standing ovation. Oh, yeah. It's, see, it's progressives and libertarians can agree. To, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Uh, also, before we get to uh, the retirement of Justice Breyer, um, uh, a very famous actor, Peter Dinklage, is in the news. Uh, he is not happy with the decision oh, yeah. to remake Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he claims that this is wrong. It's uh, stereotypical. Uh, and, and of course, you know, he has made a lot of progress uh, overcoming discrimination based on uh, physical appearance and so on. But he he thinks that it's just a, a bad idea to have this story with a bunch of dwarves that live together in some sort of cave someplace, and off they go to the diamond mine. I don't know. This is a beloved Disney story, amazing uh, artistry from the 30s, amazing music. It's a classic. Do we really need to change the story so that that there aren't any dwarves? I mean, no munchkins in the uh, the, remake of The Wizard of Oz? Well, here's the deal. These are really sensitive topics. It's difficult to, to deal with with uh, fictional portrayals of, uh, you know, stuff from the past that has somewhat ableist undertones or overtones, depending on how you use it. Let's, let's talk about another example, Lord of the Rings dwarves. Lord of the Rings dwarves are explicitly a fantastical race of simply short and stocky uh, creatures that are not human. It's it's very explicitly, these are, are a different race. They're like elves, right? Okay. They have nothing to do with people who have the, you know, uh, have the medical condition, dwarfism. And they've got their own culture and their warriors. And are they from another planet? They're from Middle Earth, just like elves are, right? They're, they're, it's another, it's, so that's fantasy dwarves. That's on one end of the spectrum where okay. most people would say, okay, I get this, that, that, that that is not really about people with dwarfism, probably. And probably I think a lot of uh, disability advocates would tell you the same thing. But on the other end of the spectrum, we have something like uh, Disney's 1937 Snow White classic in which they have a lot of, uh, they have this, this group of seven characters who have a lot of the physical characteristics of people with dwarfism that you know explicitly not just short people but people who have the physical manifestations of, of the uh, the disability dwarfism and um if it's even a disability i don't even know and they 
have an exaggerated like high ho like their march they right. go back and forth from one foot to the other in this exaggerated essentially they whistle while they work okay they enjoy their work right essentially mockery of of the what it looks like when people with dwarfism uh, walk i mean this is a, is, a, is very explicitly not a race of fantasy creatures like elves right and so there's a spectrum of how do you deal with fiction that has you know people in it that represent groups that are you know marginalized and disadvantaged and how they're portrayed and whether they're portrayed in a positive light or a negative light it's not like you have to have it's not like you want every character every character with dwarfism in a movie or tv to be the hero like you want to have peter dinklage be able to play villains it's okay that there are bad guys right. in the story but you don't want to play off of stereotypes of people who have these certain disabilities so i'm fully in favor I, okay, i'd say peter well, you're absolutely right and thanks for bringing it to the attention of a lot of people who look at this and be like oh yeah there's dwarves I, I get, they're probably fantasy there's a difference I can between lord point. of the rings dwarves and seven I, can, I can see your point but in order for me to get on board with the strain I, i'm going to need a couple of favors mm-hmm. first when, when we read do the uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes. I want Ryan Gosling to oh, play the Hunchback. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. want some Hunchback right. because that would be discrimination. I just want mm. it be, to be, you know, the handsome, studly Ryan Gosling. No, okay. that's an that's right. important part Next. of his character. Next, Richard III. <laughs> Richard III, you know, he had all sorts oh, yeah, of deformities yeah, 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 and absolutely. so on. I want The Rock. The Rock. Richard III. I, love I don't want anybody with any, yeah, right. because that would be bad. But those are important character points that make those people complicated, deep, layered characters. They I'm have not, to deal with their disabilities as opposed to the Seven Dwarves where you just like oh they're happy miners and this is who they are and this is the like they basically are a foreign yeah, but weird I'm not race quite, of people who are trapped in quite, mines i'm like, not quite done i'm oh, not okay. quite done what we're gonna we we're gonna do a, a remake of the miracle worker the helen keller story oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i want ted williams ghost to play her he had the best eyesight in baseball ah, of course there's of course, no reason to get a blind person sure. just you know, oh that's stereotypical yeah. she can't she can't see finally, different wavelengths on my this final <laughs> suggestion uh sunrise at campobello you know the story about franklin roosevelt and his life and so I on i don't know that, you know, okay. well, that was his biography. I think Ralph Bellamy played FDR. So I want a remake of that. Mm-hmm. And of course, he was in a wheelchair. Yes. What I want is is a star to be selected. Tom Brady. I want Tom, Tom Brady. Tom, Tom Brady, Brady. Yes, absolutely. To play FDR. Mm-hmm. He's just retired. Yeah. Uh, they say from the NFL, mm-hmm. and he certainly doesn't need a wheelchair. So we wouldn't be making fun of anybody yeah. who really needs a wheelchair. Yeah, you know, we could have to connect it to another story that's in the news this year, this week. Uh, we could have Neil Young, uh, a, a polio Ooh, survivor yeah. who is 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 but uh, was in danger of, of needing a wheelchair, as many as people did, just like FDR uh, after getting polio. And Neil Young this week has yanked all of his music off of these. Spotify platform. I don't know if this has been in the news and on your radar. Absolutely. But he's yanked all his music off. Joe Rogan of feud. Joe Rogan and medical disinformation, vaccine disinformation. Joni Young. Mitchell has joined him. And Joni Mitchell has joined the train. And a bunch of other people, a bunch of other major artists, sort of their fans reached out to them and said, hey, join this boycott. You know, yank off of Spotify. Uh, exert this power that you've got. And a ton of these big artists said, oh, yeah, we like sold our rights to our music. I have no control about <laughs> right. what people do with my art. And a lot of their fans are angry at them. Like, oh, you have this powerful, you know, amazing thing, and you could use it for good. You could use it as a bludgeon to make the world better. And you sold it for 10, 15, 50 million dollars. How dare you give that up? And like, come on, people. Like, what they can't people can't sell their IP because they are should be required to use it for progressive boycotts. Like, right. okay, I'm a I'm a wacko pinko uh, progressive for sure. But like, let people sell their art. Like, that's I'm not I'm not on that end of the spectrum. 
All right. When we come back, we are going to talk about the retirement of Stephen Breyer from the U.S. Supreme Court. But first, Connor is going to tell you how to rate and subscribe to Too Many Lawyers. Yeah, check us out on whatever podcast platform you like to use. That's probably numerically Apple Podcast. But if it's not, um, the button might have a different uh, name on Apple Podcast. You probably already clicked it. It's join. But you know what? If you use Apple Podcast, you could go on the evil hated Spotify and you could find us and you could subscribe there, too. And I won't tell anybody i promise also leave us a review we'll be right back thank you president biden this is too many lawyers i'm royal oaks and i'm Conor oaks. i didn't know you did a joe biden impression he's great at he's whispering. a whisperer he's, he's a, a whisperer he's, a whisperer. Yeah, he's the presidential whisperer yeah i mean that's 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 his method of sort of getting serious i think is he gets gets quieter which is a very effective rhetorical technique it, it makes can the be. audience lean in yeah it can be yeah yeah. <laughs> so maybe not every time. Okay. So let's talk about the retirement of Stephen Breyer. You know, some people are saying, well, what's a big deal? You know, he's liberal. A liberal president will replace him with another liberal. Yes, it's going to be 30 more years of a liberal vote. He just finished up with a 28 years on the, the high court. But there yeah. are a lot of a lot of layers to this, a lot of nuances. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, people are generally familiar with his background because we've been talking about him quitting. He was appointed by President Clinton in 1994. He replaced Harry Blackman, who is famous for being the author of Roe versus Wade. Uh, Education-wise, uh, he uh, he actually uh, was a high school debater at Lowell High in Northern California, who competed against Jerry Brown, the governor, and Larry, wow. Larry Tribe, the famous constitutional no law professor at Harvard. So he went to Stanford, he went to Oxford, Harvard Law School, clerked for Justice Goldberg in the U.S. Supreme Court, lectured for decades at, at Harvard Law School, he was on the Court of Appeals, and then gets on the U.S. Supreme Court. And he's known for being a pragmatist, a guy who was kind of a liaison between the left and the right. Uh, a bunch of notable rulings on abortion. He struck down the law in Louisiana requiring abortion doctors to have hospital privileges within 30 miles. On capital punishment, uh, six years ago, he dissented and raised a question as to whether it's even constitutional. He suggested maybe it's cruel and unusual punishment. So he was a pretty reliable uh, liberal vote on the court. But his replacement, it's been a few little controversial points here. For one thing, apparently he was unhappy that it was announced. And I, I don't know why there should be any confusion. I mean, you'd think that the guy would have the right to announce his retirement when he wants to retire. Yeah. But I guess NBC or some other outlets maybe jumped the gun. Maybe they weren't supposed to, to reveal it, but it's out now. Yeah. And, and I mean, you got to you gotta control your secrets, buddy. Like, however, whoever you told, told, told. I mean, what right. it, it's that's it is what it is. You can't you can't shame the news for for, you know, breaking the most important piece of news. It's not like it harmed anybody to let it out. Maybe you should have uh, announced it earlier in, uh, when you made that decision, buddy. And frankly, I think Breyer should have announced this even earlier. I mean, obviously, n- there's plenty of time for uh, Joe Biden to pick a replacement. But I will tell you, there is a 0% chance that Mitch McConnell didn't start thinking, mm, how do we get Cinema and Mansion to stall and keep this thing open? Until well, don't you Ron think the DeSantis only realistic wins? chance for McConnell to somehow derail this would be if Biden picks somebody who is so clearly a huge progressive lefty that it, it energizes the conservatives? I mean, the short list they've been talking about, Leandra Kruger, California Supreme Court, and the D.C. Uh, Circuit Court of Appeals yeah. judge, uh, yeah. and, and, and Childs, I think she's in South Carolina. Right. They're all, they've already been voted for uh, by uh, both parties. Right. The Republicans don't have the power to block Biden's nominee. 
the only people who have the power to block Donald Biden's nominee are the two Republicans named Kristen, Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin. Those two Republicans have the power to derail the entire Democratic Party agenda. They already did so far. Uh, uh, attacking Joe Biden's, you know, bills, preventing them from passing. Uh, and they could do this again with the with the court. In my opinion, they're not going to, which is uh, un, you know, uncharacteristically optimistic yeah. and naive <laughs> for me to think that these two secret Republicans will pretend uh, to be Democrats for a little while and go along with this. But it's because, in my opinion, there's already a conservative supermajority on the court. There's no need for them to do this. They're not planning for 30 years down the road. All this, like, obviously, the big picture conservative movement is planning for that. But Joe Manchin uh, is a lot older than that. And Kirsten Cinema has no intention of winning another right. election right. ever. There's a, there's a super majority uh, on the court, six right. to three, yeah. two thirds. That's a super majority. Super. But the Democrats have a super duper majority in the California legislature. They True. have 75 percent in both the Assembly and the Senate. Yeah. All right. Here's the controversial question, at least in the minds of some people. Yeah. Is Biden engaging in affirmative action that should be criticized by saying, as he did in the campaign, and he's reiterating it now, mm -hmm. the replacement will be a black woman, okay? Mm -hmm. Folks, get used to it. Right. So Robert Turley, uh, one of your favorites, I'm sorry, Jonathan Turley, a George Washington University law yeah, professor. no. You love him, I know. No. Uh, he had a piece in the Wall Street Journal a couple Shocker, of days ago. Shocker, in the Wa uh, WAPO? And he says Biden's engaging in affirmative action. And he points, for example, to the Bakke case. Mm -hmm. Bakke was a 1978 case uh, uh, out of the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, where the U.S. Supreme Court said, okay, this guy, Baki, is a white guy. He wants to go to medical school in California, at a state school. And the court banned outright quotas where it would say, okay, we're going to have you know X percent of black people in our medical school class. But instead, they do allow, uh, the court has since then allowed educational institutions to include race as a, one of many factors in promoting the goal of diversity. And of course, Sandra Day O'Connor years ago famously said, I think about 25 years ago, I'm, I'm okay with this diversity plan. It does involve race to a certain degree. In 25 years, she said, race should not be a factor at all, but it's okay now. So, you know, this law professor Turley goes on to say that, gee, you know, Senator Biden has kind of changed his tune. Or he was a senator in the 70s. And he said, quote, I do not. And this is, again, Biden speaking. I do not buy the concept popular in the 60s, which said we've suppressed the black man for 300 years and the white man is now far ahead in the race for everything our society offers. In order to even the score, we must now give the black man a head start or even hold the white man back to even the race. Close quote. That's the quote of note from Biden in the Senate in the mid 70s. Do you think he sounds like he's changed his tune? Yeah, of course. I mean, everybody changes and evolves and grows. I would hope that a guy Joe, like Joe Biden, who's been in office for as long as he has, um, uh, can be, you know, transformative and, and change and grow and understand the reality of the world changing around him. People recognizing the value of taking affirmative actions to improve the world, like to say the fact that affirmative action has become a dirty word is so ridiculous. I mean, this this guy got in trouble this week. Republican Senator Roger Wicker got in trouble. He's in Mississippi. I mean, he got in trouble with progressives. He doesn't care about them anyway. But he said that uh, a, a black woman uh, who gets nominated by Joe Biden, despite not knowing who this would be, would be a beneficiary of affirmative action. And th that is the underlying problem based on people like like this guy, Senator Roger Wicker. By saying that, 
he is implicitly saying that they're not picking uh, a qualified candidate for this role because they're saying, oh, well, if they the if the qualifications, uh, uh, if any of the requirements for this role involve race or gender or any other of these protected classes that, uh, you know, we think need help via affirmative action, um, then therefore necessarily we won't get the best candidate, mm-hmm. which, of course, is based on the assumption that the best candidate out there isn't a black woman, right. which is based on implicit racism and sexism. And it's not that this guy is a bad, evil person. Personally, I don't think he's a particularly good guy, and I don't like him. But that doesn't mean that he's evil or, or, or sexist or racist. It means that his assumptions about the way the world works is that we will necessarily not get the best candidate if we care at all about race and gender, which, I mean— it, that completely ignores the other positive argument that having a black woman on the court will make her the best candidate because she will be better able to make these decisions and bring diverse viewpoints to the court in a way that the court could not make the correct decision, potentially, on some of their cases if they didn't have that perspective in the room or just haven't in the future had that perspective on on the the court and creating precedent in the past. So. These are the the assumptions that we have about affirmative action. These are the problems. The problems are people making assumptions about who the best candidates for whatever job, including SCOTUS, are based on race and gender. It's not that people uh, it, it's not racist or sexist for people to say, hey, we should have diverse viewpoints. I think we'll get the best results if we have diverse viewpoints. It's racist and sexist on the other side to say, well, if you care at all about race and sex, racism and sexism, then you're going to pick the worst candidate. Why? Now, Breyer's uh, comments have raised an issue that you and I've talked about a, right. a bunch on the podcast, which is whether judges should be political, whether it's realistic to yeah. ask them not to be political. Yeah. Uh, he uh, actually has expressed the view that once appointed, a judge naturally decides a case in the way that he or she believes the law demands. If the judge's sworn duty to be impartial, all of us take that oath seriously. Yeah. Uh, and it goes back to uh, somebody who was writing about back in the 30s, in the 1932 campaign, uh, Franklin Roosevelt it was saying, well, the, the Republicans control all branches of government, including the Supreme Court. Yeah. And a bunch of lawyers objected, saying, oh, no, the Supreme Court is above politics. Well, that sounds kind of quaint now. Yeah, but naive. it sounds like Breyer, you know, maybe it's wishful thinking. Yeah, of course. Uh, but- as soon as you're ensconced in this wonderful institution, you will do and say <laughs> anything, it appears, uh, from our, our lived experience of watching these SCOTUS, uh, you know, nominees uh, spout this stuff. And also, like, you'll, you'll say and do anything to to maintain the legitimacy of the, of the institution because you think the institution is a good thing. But on the other hand, you know, maybe it's not that they change. It Maybe it's that the kind of person uh, that you have to be to end up on Supreme Court has to believe in the legitimacy of the court. Like, how could you possibly get through this whole process, your whole career, go to Harvard and <laughs> Yale Law School, be told your whole life that you're the smartest person that anyone's ever met, be told that you're the arbiter of all that is right and good, be told that you can make impartial decisions behind an, an impractical and impossible veil of ignorance that prevents you from being biased in any way, and you can be the, as sober as a judge, and then at the very end of your career, the pinnacle of everything, you get to the top of the court and you say, oh, 
yeah, actually, implicit bias is a very real thing. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be super biased by where I came from, who I am. There's no way I can separate that. People are inherently political creatures, and the product of the Supreme Court is an inherently political process. It's just like the Senate. It's just like the presidency. There's literally no difference. And to cloak it in this air of legitimacy that makes it different and special is actually what's dangerous. You're never going to come to that conclusion like I have. And like a bunch of liberals out there and a bunch of conservatives on the extreme end uh, say the same thing. You're never going to come to that conclusion because you can't get to that position. Hey, doggy, want to be on the podcast? <laughs> yes, the you audience is expressing his displeasure. You can't come to that position, get to that spot ever, if you're the kind of person who'll ever end up on the court. When we come back, speaking of the Supreme Court, we're going to talk about whether affirmative action is about to be history. So stick with us on Too Many Lawyers. This is Too Many Lawyers. I'm Royal Oaks. And I'm Conor Oaks. So the Supreme Court uh, a few days ago agreed to take up a case regarding the race-conscious admissions programs at Harvard and the University of North Carolina. The oral argument is set for October later this year, a ways down the road. And so the decision won't likely be till probably spring or maybe even uh, June of 2023. Several times, Conor, of course, the Supreme Court has upheld similar programs, saying as long as it isn't a rigid rigid quota, then race may be one of many factors to achieve diversity. But we know the court is more conservative now. And the idea behind the suit is that Harvard discriminates against Asians. It, if you're deviating from objective measures like GPAs and scores amounts to racial discrimination. I'm doing massive air quotes around objective over here, by the way, just, just so you, the audience knows. Objective measures like GPA. Okay. We, we, love, we love air quotes. A uh, bunch of past courts have kind of guided the way here in 2016. The Supreme Court had a 4-3 vote upholding the University of Texas's system of using race as one factor to assure diversity back in 2003. The, the Grutter case, uh, Justice O'Connor did say race may be one factor. Uh, so, I mean, the the bottom line for Chief Justice Roberts, and it suggests that he's going to be a vote against affirmative action, is he said in a 2007 case, the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. Do you think, given the complexion of uh, the court here, complexion. That, that we're in for a, 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 just a total rejection of the concept of, of affirmative action? I mean, they could reiterate their uh, opposition to quotas, but if you're gonna if you're gonna have the concept of diversity, and it's hard to believe they're gonna turn their back on diversity, it seems difficult to come up with a rationale. I think to to get rid of any uh, aspect of race as as being an element in picking people for jobs or college. I think spots. affirmative action's dead. I think it's dead in in schools context, and from this precedent will flow that it is dead in all contexts. I, I think that this is this is the the, the beginning of the end uh, for affirmative action. Uh, this this case, it will start with with colleges uh, because that's the context we're specifically in. But once they the conservatives win, it will flow to every other area. This is something that the conservatives absolutely this is huge red meat for their base this is we killed affirmative action we won we're actually fixing this stuff in the same way that that uh, abortion is red meat for their base we're actually making progress we're actually winning on stuff see you know we we crushed the democrats on on, uh, on this stuff and they can't even get their bills passed through the senate it, affirmative action is anathema to conservatives because it acknowledges the reality that the status quo is not quo, that the status quo is not good, inherently positive, that the the, the long arc of history does not constantly and always bend upward and, and forward and towards progress. 
what a progressive say, which is we've got to take affirmative actions to make things better. That is is it, it, it attacks the very foundation of everybody currently has what they currently deserve. And everybody in the middle class deserves to be middle class. Everybody who's poor deserves to be poor. That's what conservatives and Republicans mainly run on is uh, don't change anything uh, because everything that you have, you earned uh, and, and built yourself. And when a uh, president, you know, Danes threatens them by saying you didn't build that one time, uh, you know, he's vilified for it for his whole career. I mean, that is the foundation of it. And affirmative action is the most obvious manifestation of that. It's a way for conservatives to turn the narrative around and say, no, you're the racists. And they love saying, no, you're the racists to people who care about race and, and, and class and, and, and gender and everything else. It's the it's their it's their favorite thing in the whole world. Let's talk Michael Avenatti. Okay. Uh, he is testing the old adage: uh, a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. He is representing himself in a case uh, against Stormy Daniels in New York. Just the, the background is that in 2018, uh, Michael Avenatti represented Stormy Daniels in connection with her claim that she had a sexual encounter with Trump. She should be able to talk about it. Uh, the document she signed saying she wouldn't talk about it is invalid right. and so on. Uh, Daniel's charges uh, that he stole hundreds of thousands of dollars from her, that uh, Avenatti did. Which doesn't he, seem like a stretch, given the other things he's accused and, and convicted Yeah, of. he's already been convicted, uh, two and a half years prison sentence for extorting Nike. Uh, he had a second trial here in California where he, uh, there was a mistrial because the prosecution, the judge found, did not hand over what they were supposed to hand over. And as a result, um, you know, that that's still up in the air. But now he Here's the, the third trial, and that's stealing from, from uh, Stormy Daniels. Uh, I mean, talk about a fall. I mean, he was briefly talked about as a presidential candidate to, to run against uh, Donald Trump. But now he has fired the public defender, Connor, who was representing him in the Stormy Daniels case in New York City. So he must have seen my cousin Vinny, where the, yeah, where the public defender I just mean, didn't do a great job. I'm sure job. he's probably broke uh, at the moment, but... Maybe he just. Yeah, that's why he's not hiring a, a yeah, fancy can't lawyer. Can't get a lawyer, but who? I mean, you'd think there would be some lawyer out there who'd work uh, for exposure on such a massive case. But I, I mean, I'm I'm all for people not working for exposure, but it happens so often. I don't know. He's having some fun. I think Avenatti probably deserves a little fun before he goes to prison for the rest of his life. <laughs> uh, Cross-examining Stormy Daniels, he's trying to undermine her credibility because she's the one that's you know saying that right. he stole yeah. from her. And so apparently she has some unorthodox, eccentric ideas. She she thinks uh, uh, there's this doll that can speak, uh, that she believes in ghosts. She's sure. a paranormal investigator. Yeah. Nice. Basically, he's trying to portray her as, as a total nutcase. Yeah. Uh, but I, the fact is, I think no matter how this one turns out, he's he's looking at a long stay uh, at the at the Gray Bar Hotel. Yeah. Speaking of uh, of Stormy and her and her. Uh, uh, psychic emanations that she can sense. Uh, I was reading something very interesting uh, about mediums and psychics really? and ghost uh, people who talk to ghosts, and they put the uh, they put a lot of these people in uh, fMRI machines, mm -hmm. and they see what their brain, how their brain is is lighting up, and the same parts of their brain are lighting up when they're having these you know, these visions right. as when someone in the world is talking to you and you're listening to them. So the thought is potentially this is some sort of manifestation of well, people would call it like schizophrenia or, or hearing voice. But that's a clinical diagnosis of a disease caused by certain things. But maybe these people really are hearing voices uh, in some sort of undiagnosed psychological way that aren't negative and terrible and telling them to do bad things or anything. They're just 
hearing voices. And so, hey, maybe Stormy's right. This, this doll is talking to her inside her own head, obviously not really, but, but yeah, that's okay. That's you know? fascinating. I, I had not heard about that research. So so in other words, there may, could be some objective proof that in fact- Some mediums and all the rest. Somebody actually, thinks that they're, yeah, they're hearing I actually voices. am talking to God or actually am talking to ghosts uh, in that they are, you know, in their head actually hallucinating something. But hey, I mean, who isn't hallucinating something in their head a little bit? If, if I'm having a good weekend, I am. Like, I no, no shade on that. Them, uh, you know, and especially if they got like a Long Island Mediums type show, don't knock the hustle. Well, now we've reached the point of the episode where, where we're going to find out if you had a good podcast because it's guess, oh, no. guess the verdict time. It's all down to this. Guess the verdict. I'm going to give a real live case to Connor and he's going to guess how it turned out, who won, who lost. Are you ready for this? Yes. Okay. Judge Stuart Nam of Riverhead, New York has been called eccentric. Lawyer Peter Mayer thinks that the judge's behavior during Mayer's recent final argument to the jury in a criminal case crossed the line. The lawyer, Mayer, claims his honor would munch on pistachio nuts, no. stick scotch tape to his forehead, then peel it off. Oh, my God. He'd clean his ear with a toothpick. The judge that's, claimed that was a helpful. lie. He used a paper clip, oh not, not, not a toothpick. So Mayer's con- uh, client is convicted, and it's up on appeal, and he's making the arguments that this judge was really e- eccentric to the extreme. Yeah. Uh, Connor, what do you think? What, how would you guess the outcome of this case? That's is a great the question. Appeal successful or in no? my opinion, that sort of distracting and disrespectful behavior by a very important authority figure in the courtroom, the judge, could have a significant impact on how seriously uh, the jury takes uh, the, the final arguments of the defendant's lawyer. However, um, a very good rule of thumb if on the bar exam, when you don't know the answer, and they'll tell you this in your uh, bar exam uh, official preparation materials from very expensive bar prep companies, is if you are if you have a crim pro question and you don't know the answer and you need to guess, guess against the criminal defendant and in favor of the state, and you will almost always be right. So my vote is going to be that they screwed this guy over and his conviction stands. Absolutely right. You win. It's like I'm psychic. Yeah, what? we'll give you one more ding on the bell here. Thank you. There Thank we you go. Thank you very much. You're absolutely right. Now, this reminds me of a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember this one. But Larry David, shocker, uh, hurt somebody's feelings no. <laughs> uh, in a very awkward encounter. Yeah. And he was convinced to apologize. Oh, so he nice. calls up on the phone to apologize. Sure, he does uh, a great job. Yeah. And I believe I believe that this was the one where uh, he was speaking to the grandson of a kamikaze pilot oh my God. in World War II. And the grandson is talking to Larry about this. And the grandson mentioned something about the, the grandfather, you know, who's still alive. And Larry says, he's still alive, but you said he was a kamikaze pilot. And the grandson said, yes, yes, some pilots did survive. And so Larry can't let it go. He has to start talking about, well, if he survived, it's not that hard to crash into an aircraft carrier. If he survived, that means he, at the last minute, changed his mind. So it was very hurtful. And Larry was convinced (laughs) to apologize. So he gets on the phone and he starts to apologize. And he's eating pistachios during the apology. No! And the grandson (laughs) says to Larry, Larry, what's what's that noise? Oh, well, I'm just having some have a snack. I have pistachios. You're eating pistachios when you're supposed to be apologizing? That's not an apology. <laughs> so just like the, the appellate uh, panel, right, the appellate so argument, so unfortunately good. for um, the criminal defendant, you're, you're right, conviction was Shocker. affirmed. 
I don't know how the system can give a, give us any more fodder in the next week than yeah. we've already had. Affirmative action, Stephen Breyer, but uh, we'll be all over it, whatever's in the news. So have yourself a great week. We'll see you next time on Too Many Lawyers.